Now we're going to have our Bible reading, uh, which is going to be a little different, but hopefully helpful. Good evening. Our reading this evening is from Daniel chapter 2, and it's on page 884 in the Church Bible. We're going to be reading it in parts, which is why we've got so many of us up here. That's Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. This is what I have firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Let the king tell his servants the dreams, the dream, and we will interpret it. I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. There is no one on earth that can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Ariok the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Uh, wisdom and power are his. 
He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I'll interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Uh, He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Uh, Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, uh, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, uh, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, uh, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept over them without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we'll interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw that the feet and toes are partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom would be partly strong and and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and it will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, 
the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Thank you, one and all. Do keep your Bibles open if you've got them in front of you. Uh, Page 885 we were on. And uh, let's just pray, shall we, after that? Theatrical extravaganza. Father, there's a a lot going on in that passage and lots uh, we, we may not understand. But we just pray now as we come to look at it and study it together that you will speak to us wherever we are, whatever we think of you, that we will learn more of you over the next 20 minutes or so. Amen. Verse 28, Daniel says, there is a God in heaven. And that is uh, really the, the, the big truth underpinning uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, it, it's a timeless truth, but it's kind of one that Daniel goes a little bit further and begins to explore the question, well, okay, there's a God in heaven, but but what's he like? This is uh, William Blake's version, famous picture of what God is like in heaven, sort of an old man in the distance measuring us out. Well, as we work through Daniel 2, we're going to see some different views of what God is really doing. There is a God in heaven. So verses 1 to 13, we'll we'll work through the passage in chunks. Um, We're we're in Babylon around 600 BC. This is a reconstruction of of Babylon around then. Um, It's a bit of a surprise when you look at it. It looks quite modern, doesn't it? It's big. It looks modern. It's it's a thriving city. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is in charge, he's just won a huge battle against Egypt, and in the course of that, he's destroyed Jerusalem, he's ethnically cleansed it, and as we heard from Nick last week, uh, Daniel is 
part of the displaced persons program, really. He's been moved into Babylon and he's been assimilated into the Babylonian culture. And we know that Daniel uh, is is a a, a man of God. So I guess uh, the modern parallel would to say that Daniel's a committed Christian living in an aggressively secular society. We tend to think of these guys as quite old, don't we? In all the paintings, they look old. But, uh, you know, Daniel probably was under 20 years old when this happened. Nebuchadnezzar, probably about 30. They're quite young still. And you get the sense that for Nebuchadnezzar, even with all that success he's achieved so young, he's already decided that the world is not enough. Because even as you look at this city and you think it's a godless place, but actually God hasn't deserted Babylon because God is disturbing the king. God is making him wonder, is there more to life than this? And I think that's why he's looking for answers. He would have believed, it would have been a cultural expectation really, that you have dreams and that the gods speak to you through the dreams. So he's had his dreams, uh, and verse 2, as we saw just now, he asks his expert, his his senior advisors, his heads of department, um, to explain it to him. And we tend to think of these people as sort of of wizardy-type creatures from Disney films or something, don't they? But these these are bright, well-educated people. Babylonian science was was quite advanced. So these were people who you'd be happy to listen to what they have to say to you. But what came over hopefully loud and clear is that actually Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really want to hear from them at all, does he? What he wants to hear from, or who he wants to hear from, is God. Because three times, did you notice, there's always this emphasis when you see something three times, three times, Nebuchadnezzar asks his team, what does my dream mean? And each time they sort of say, well, you know, let, let us know what the dream is and we'll pop back and we'll look it up on Wicked Dreamia or whatever it is. We'll get into the libraries uh, and we'll be able to tell you. And, and that's what they did. A huge amount of written of stuff about dream symbolism. And Nebuchadnezzar effectively says, that's not good enough because I'm not telling you the dream. He's sort of saying, any fool can look up something in the book and tell me that. I'm not paying you for that. You say you've got God's voice. I want to hear God speak, not man. Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity in the heart of man. And I think what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is no different to what millions of people have done ever since and what many of us have done before or done since augustine famously wrote because you god have made us and drawn us to yourself our heart is restless until it rests in you nebuchadnezzar is looking to hear from god and what does the world say 
What does the world say when you say, well, let's hear from God then. Where, where's God in all this? Well, look at the wise men's response because it really hasn't changed. Uh, verse 11, they say, what the king asks is too difficult because the gods don't live among humans. If God exists, it's much too difficult to actually hear from him. God doesn't sort of work on a human level. He's beyond knowing and maybe that's what you think. Maybe you're here, maybe you're listening online, uh, and it's kind of interesting uh, to see a, a little bit of religion online or whatever, but actually, it's a bit of an academic exercise. There is a God out there, and we just go along to church, and God's in heaven, and we just live in parallel worlds, if you like. Even if there is, is a God, we can't really know him or hear him speak. And that's what most people around us would think, I think, wouldn't at college, at work. That's God for you. Well, look at Nebuchadnezzar's response. He's not happy with that. It's not good enough. He says, if that's the truth, then you lot deserve to die. You'd be misleading me, he says in verse 9. You and all your team, you've been telling me that God speaks, but actually, when it really come, push comes to shove... You're saying he doesn't. And, and at that point, the spotlight moves, doesn't it? And it shifts to Daniel. Now, we're in Pride Month. If you're like me and you have a workplace laptop, uh, you will know it's Pride Month. We're sort of bombarded with it. And Pride, a lot of it, is about celebrating diversity. Now, I don't know what you think about that phrase, but can I just say there is only one diversity that really matters, and it's in this passage, and it's as we move from Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel that we see a difference that really matters. It's not the difference between a king and a refugee. It's the difference between someone who knows the Lord and someone who doesn't. That is the big difference in the world and the world around us. Do we know the Lord Jesus or not? Are we full of his spirit or not? And verses 14 to 27 give us that contrast because we begin to see what living in the power of the spirit, living knowing the Lord, looks like in the way Daniel uh, responds. So Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, uh, is, is sent out. Um, his job title uh, is technically... Ooh, we missed a picture. Should we have a picture? There we are. That's the picture of the scene. It's the only picture I could find of this by a sort of religious uh, artist, 19th century. But there we are. Um, so Ariok goes out, um, and, and his job title is technically Chief Slaughterman. So that's a sort of optimistic uh, job description, isn't it? You can imagine his appraisal, but there we are. Um, and I think he's the guy, the big guy at the back, who's looking like a bouncer. But can you see now the difference between the secular king and the spirit-filled believer? Because look what marks out Daniel's response. Verse 14, it says, He spoke with wisdom and tact, even to the king's hitmen. 2 Timothy 1 says, We do not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Ephesians 1, Paul prays that we all receive the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation. There's that clear contrast, isn't there, of Nebuchadnezzar throwing his toys out of the pram. Where is God? Why can't he speak to me? And Daniel's response, relying on God's spirit, that same Holy Spirit that, of course, is promised to each one of us who believe. And as Daniel, as a chapter works through, um, you see more of what it means to live like trusting the Lord. So verse 17, Daniel shares a problem with his friends and they pray together. I wonder if that's your response when times get tough. I'm not sure it's always mine. Phone a friend, get together with a friend, pray about it. And then look at verse 19. God's granted his request. The dream has been, the interpretation has been given to Daniel. What does Daniel do? Well, I know what I'd have done. I'd have rushed off to the king. So I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Stop the executions. Got the answer. Daniel's trusting God now, isn't he? He's taking his time. And his first response, look at that, is to praise God. Got that little psalm of praise in verses 20 to 23. And it is a psalm of praise. It's not simply, thank you very much for answering that prayer. Now I've got to move on to my next prayer request, which is kind of how often we pray, isn't it? He praises him, not just because he saved his life, but you notice he knows his God, doesn't he? He knows that he's worked in the life of his ancestors, is how he describes it. In other words, he knows his Bible story. He knows his history. He knows how God has worked in the past. So Daniel is relying on kind of everything God has given him. He has the Holy Spirit helping him. He's relying on Christian friends. Uh, He's praying and he's relying on the Bible and he's always keeping God in his right place in his life. And you compare that to Nebuchadnezzar, who looks good, it all looks very wonderful. But Nebuchadnezzar has kind of realized he hasn't got the answer. The world's wisdom is meaningless. And where can Nebuchadnezzar go for answers? And where Nebuchadnezzar can go for answers is exactly the same place as our friends can go for answers. The people that we know, we work with, we're friendly with, we're online with, our family, uh, who are in the same kind of situation as Nebuchadnezzar, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't, wish I could find out. Well, where do they go for help? Daniel was the man of the moment. You and I, for our friends, are the people of the moment, aren't we? We are the folk who will be talking to our friends and saying, there is a God in heaven. And and not only that there's a God in heaven, there's a God in heaven, to use Daniel's face, who reveals mysteries, who speaks, who lives among us. We're not very good at that, are we? Maybe I'm painting us all with the same brush, but to be honest, I'm not very good at that. Every now and again, I can work up courage uh, to speak out. But I wonder when you or I last said to someone boldly like Daniel, there is a God in heaven, and he speaks to us. Perhaps we all 
need to be a bit bolder. Anyway, Daniel is able to back that up. He's able to back that up by telling Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was and what it means. There we go. So we get the little run through uh, from verse 31 onwards. Uh, the statue has a head of gold, body of silver, then bits of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Um, and then they're all smashed to smithereens in verse 35 by a rock. Really important little comment about the rock. The rock is cut out, but not by human hands. And that rock becomes a huge mountain filling the earth. So that's the dream. Verse 36, Daniel says, um, not only has God revealed the dreams, but we, it's interesting, isn't it? God's not going to reveal it. Daniel's not going to reveal it. But Daniel and the Holy Spirit working together explain the dream. Now, at this point, we have a sort of little slight sort of weirdo warning. Uh, if you're leading house groups or anything like that, or you're busy checking what I'm saying online at the moment, uh, you could go all over the place with this. Uh, we could spend hours uh, discussing what all these uh, things mean. Um, if I was Nick at this point, I would probably offer a separate seminar on, on a Sunday afternoon. Um, it probably wouldn't have many people at it, to be honest, but never mind. So uh, we'll stick to the essentials of what's going on here. Um, so these bits of the body... Daniel says, are a series of worldly empires, and they start with you, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, at the top with the gold head. Um, and almost certainly those feet at the bottom are the Roman Empire, uh, and we'll see why in a second. Um, and the bits in between, we can argue about whether they're the Medes or the Persians or the Greeks or whatever in Tutar. Um, to some extent, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. One thing we can sort of deduce, as a bit of an aside, is that the direction of travel for these materials seems to be getting worse. The first head, the head is made of gold, the second one's inferior, and then you get these rather odd materials later on. There seems to be a clear message there that the world is not getting better. Uh, and that's quite important because actually, uh, I think if you ask most people nowadays, they would kind of say, well, I don't think the world is getting better when we look around us. Um, and then you look at some of the recent TED talks and stuff like that, uh, and they will tell you, you know, infant mortality is getting better and life expectancy increasing and happiness quotients are improving and all sorts of stuff like that. So we're in a bit of a muddle, really, about is life getting better or not? Well, the Christian expectation should be, and perhaps it's an encouragement, that the world is not going to get better. The world is on a downward trajectory. And that should encourage us in a way, because that's what this sort of passage is telling us. And it reassures us that even if we look around us and think things are getting worse, God has not lost control So we'll leave exactly which empire is which uh, to, to the experts. Uh, I'm going to treat it as one of the hidden things of God that Deuteronomy talks about. And let's just focus on this rock. Because from the very earliest days of the church, people have understood that this rock, this rock not cut out with human hands, clearly points to 
the Lord Jesus. Not cut out of hu with human hands, not born of natural human parentage. So there's a sort of clue there that we're looking at the Lord Jesus. And then you'll be familiar, passages like um, 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul talks about Jesus as a spiritual rock. Uh, Peter quotes Isaiah saying, Jesus is the rock that makes men fall. And that's why as we get to verse 44, Daniel says that that rock is the foundation, setting up a kingdom that will never end, that's going to supersede everything that's gone before. So in a kind of mixed up sort of way, this dream is doing two things. It's pointing to Jesus coming uh, uh, in, his, uh, in the time of the Roman Empire, born of a virgin, crucified, raised to life, and defeating death, that sort of biggest evil empire of them all, that very physical appearance of Christ. And then, of course, Jesus teaching that his kingdom starts there, the kingdom that will spread throughout the globe. And then we have the other idea wrapped up in this, of this cataclysmic end. The world will not end with a whimper, it will end with a bang, as the rock not cut from human hands, as the Lord Jesus returns, in a very physical way, re-establishes a new kingdom, of heaven and earth and in that new earth at the name of Jesus every knee will bow it is a very physical thing that we look forward to Psalm 27 the psalmist says I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living he perhaps should have added not quite yet but nonetheless a physical expectation Christ will return and we will be there and that's the great hope we look forward to. It's not a hope based on, on wishful thinking. It's based on what that rock, uncut by human hands, has already done. So, that's the kind of passage. That's how it works through. The question is, well, where does it leave Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar? There you are. That's all we'll go on to Daniel. See, Daniel has stood up for his Lord. He stood up for his Lord in the workplace, and good news of this passage is that if you stand up for the Lord in the workplace, you will get promotion. Or not. It doesn't usually happen. Just for Daniel, uh, so it is for us. It's a risky business, isn't it? Speaking out for the Lord in the workplace. But the sovereign Lord has a purpose for Daniel. Daniel is going to move into a new role and there he's going to be used by God again. Daniel lives a life of trust, expectancy and gratitude expressed in prayer, praise and fellowship. That's a quote from a commentator. And when we live like that, God can and will use us. So that's Daniel. We could talk about that, but we won't. What about Nebuchadnezzar? There we are, another picture of Babylon. Well, this incident is a little pebble in his shoe, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar has not, I don't think at this point, come to a living faith. That will come later. 
But he's started on a journey, hasn't he? He's bowed down to acknowledge there is one God and Lord of Lord who does speak. And, and this rock, Emmanuel, God lived with us, lived among men as his son and still does by his spirit. And that is what Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to see. Here, God is speaking through prophets and dreams. And the book of Hebrews tells us that now he speaks through his son and the Holy Spirit. So, if you're like Nebuchadnezzar, if you're someone who is just saying, I wish I could hear God speak, well, tonight maybe you've started the journey. And what you really need to do is just to keep listening. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this amazing story. And we pray that for those of us who follow you and love you, you will help us, like Daniel, to be bolder, and that you will use us for your glory. And if, like Nebuchadnezzar, we are just thinking about you and just wondering whether you're really there, well, we just pray that you will work in those folks' lives, Lord, and draw them closer to you. Amen.